This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Episode 74 of the Equalizer podcast as we creep toward the end of August and another FIFA break is upon us. I'm Dan Lawletta. I've got Chelsea Bush and Claire Watkins, and it was an interesting weekend in the NWSL. Not sure what ex- what exactly it told us, but let's begin with the national television game from Sunday afternoon in Portland. And Claire, I'm going to come to you first because the Red Stars, after losing to the two bottom teams in the NWSL on the heels of a five-game winning streak, um, I think it's fair to say did not show up for this game in Portland, and now they've lost three games in a row. Still in a very positive position on the table uh, because we've got a little bit of a, a weird thing where the middle teams are really not uh, taking it to anybody else, but um, troubling times again for the Red Stars, who are this very up-and-down team, I think. Yeah, I mean, the, the Red Stars this year, they've, like, they haven't drawn a game since the first two weeks of the season, they either win or they lose. This is their deal this year. They're, you know, they're either look really great um, or yeah, they look like they didn't show up at all. Uh, this particular game, I am of the opinion that this particular game looked worse because of the two prior Chicago games that happened. Um, I think that this game was always going to be kind of hard for the Red Stars. This is their fourth game in 15 days. It's on the road. They're on short rest. Portland was not, um, and they also just still are pretty banged up in uh, that midfield. So I would say, honestly, you know, maybe, you know, I could be totally seeing this wrong, but this result and this performance didn't shock me. This seemed pretty normal. It was the prior performances um, that I found more concerning than actually the one that happened um, on Sunday. Wouldn't they? Wouldn't you just expect them to be a little bit more engaged for a little bit longer? I understand maybe they would ultimately lose the game because it's been short rest. Although I also think certain coaches play that angle up a lot, and I bet you could go back and check out the short rest versus regular rest games, and I bet you the better teams still have better records yeah, in those games. I just thought they were not engaged enough in the game. I thought the Thorns were more aggressive on both ends in the eighteen. And the Red Stars, to me, are just this team that when you count them out, which maybe we'll start to do now, say, hey, there's no way they're going to get through Portland and North Carolina, definitely not both in the playoffs. They'll win in some amazing way. But then as soon as they run off this win streak and you're like, oh, well, they've got Sky Blue and Orlando coming up, maybe they'll get it to seven, they start to lose those games. And they do it in very spectacular ways, like tying the game in stoppage time against Sky Blue, and they still don't get a point. Yeah, I mean, I think also the thing that we're seeing with Chicago is that um, they're kind of in this in-between space where they've been making these formation changes. They're trying to change their style of play. I think sometimes they look kind of confused. Uh, the players themselves look a little bit confused as to what 
the ultimate goal is. Are they trying to possess? Are they trying to play out from the back? But then they look really vulnerable on transition, um, turn over the ball in the midfield, and then they have to absorb pressure from the other team. And I think it makes them look slow. I think also Chicago has an issue where um, when the midfield isn't controlling um, the game, Sam Kerr can't do anything because they've got, you know, other teams are really, they're marking her heavily and Chicago hasn't produced another goal scorer that can consistently make teams pay when they go after Kerr. So um, I would say that, yeah, I'm not sure I think Chicago isn't as good as their record states, but I think that they are a team that it's pretty easy to watch them and come up with a game plan to play them. And then either the red stars overcome that or they don't. And I think that's what we've been seeing. Chelsea, you, um, I'll ask you this question and you can run with it and comment on any part of this game you want, but there was a point at, toward the end of the second half where ESPN news did a little montage of Sam Kerr being marked and double and triple teamed by the thorns, but I'm kind of feeling like they're reverting back to where it's easy to double and triple team her because all they do is try to feed her and nobody makes runs off of her, which I think Allie Wagner actually commented on at one point. Yeah. I, I think, first of all, I want to say that Emily Mangas in particular, I thought did a really good job. Yeah. Parking defense Kurt. was just really good. Yeah. And um, cause I think she only got one really good chance. And that was that one in the first half. She sent it just over the crossbar. But I think that that's kind of always been a shortcoming of Chicago. And, you know, it used to be Kristen Press. Now it's Sam Kerr, where everything just tends to get funneled to that one superstar striker. And actually, our, our colleague John Halloran kind of pointed that out on Twitter during the game as well. And he said, you know, like North Carolina has Liv Williams and Jess McDonald and even Kristen Hamilton now. And Portland has Horan and Heath and Razo and Sinclair and Purse. I mean, you're going to have, you know, Chicago has other players who occasionally make some things happen, but not consistently enough. So you can focus on on one player, usually with another team. If you focus on one player, someone else is going to step into that gap that you leave, that space, and make you pay. And I don't see anyone, you know, I think that Nagasato's kind of fallen off. I don't think McCaskill's reached her her potential yet. But no one's quite quite fills that, that space and if she's not the one scoring the goal, she could at least be setting them up. But no one else is putting themselves in much of a position to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I, I totally yeah. I, I totally agree. And I think that all of those tendencies get worse when the Red Stars are tired. Um, I think that they even do that on their good days. But on days when things aren't really clicking, it becomes really obvious um, that they have kind of a plan A and they struggle to figure out the plan B. When it, it makes also- you wonder. Sorry. I was going to say, it makes you wonder, they're almost certainly going to be playing Portland or North Carolina or both right. in the playoffs. And if if, that, if these teams already know that's the game plan, what is Rory Dames going to do to change that, to flip right. that on its, on its head? Yeah, absolutely. Especially Portland, because they haven't beaten Portland now in six years. And I think that was what got me about this particular game, is that Thorns got out in front early. And you immediately got that here we go again sort of thing. And it's not like the Thorns have dominated them the entire time. There have been a lot of draws in there. There have been games where the Red Stars have rallied for a draw, but they just don't seem to be able to beat the Thorns. So personally, I don't I would rather, even though we've already seen them play the Courage twice in the playoffs, I don't want to see them play the Thorns unless they're gonna really 
push them in that playoff game because it has been such a long time since they beat the Thorns. Maybe that's just me. Maybe, you know, maybe it would be a better story if they did beat the Thorns. Probably would be. Yeah, I mean, I think the yeah. one thing, and maybe we can use this to pivot into sort of talking about the larger weekend, but um, we have finished this weekend. We've reverted back to our 1-2 with Portland and North Carolina, and I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it really kind of looks like we might see another Portland and North Carolina final. Um, they're the two best teams in the league. Consistently. And what, what, what gets me on that is I don't think either team has played well. I mean, they've played well. Obviously, they're one and two. But I think both teams have miles of room for improvement this season. Yeah, absolutely. We don't see the same kind of domination. But also, it's like you said at the top, um, the next tier isn't stepping up either. So, you know, the entire quality of play of the NWSL might be just be a, li- a little bit lower this year in the way that no one's really, or circumstances, you know, this has been a season with a lot of circumstances for a lot of different teams and no one's able to really kind of take control of their own destiny. Um, we'll get into the middle of that table in a minute, but two more quick things on this game. Number one, is it time to acknowledge what I've long believed that Danielle Colaprico is fabulous and that the fact that she is intermittently not there and not playing to her potential because she hasn't been 100% healthy, a bigger deal to the Red Stars than we ever thought that it would be. And the second one is this game just needed to end. I mean, every five minutes toward the end of the game, there was a player going down. I can't believe we got through it without anything significant happening. Yeah, the end of the game was awful. And I think um, seemed like Chicago subs came in real hot. They were really ready to go um, to get physical, which I can imagine after they just hyped up after watching, you know, 65 minutes of, of what had occurred before. Um, and yes, I think having watched the Red Stars over the course of this season, the winning streak for Chicago came when Danny Colaprico was playing her best soccer of her, of the year. Um, I think that their fortunes are tied to hers very closely. And Morgan Bryan has been a great asset in that, but, um, no, I don't think the, the rehabilitation of Colaprico is urgent for the Red Stars, I think, if they want to have a shot at the final. Chelsea, have anything to add to those two? Um, yeah, I, I, I think the Colaprico is great. I don't think we've seen her best this year, really, at, at compared to previous years at all. Um, it's probably because she's she struggled to, to stay healthy and then tied in with that to get consistent playing time. Um, and I kind of wanted to say on the larger point as to what Claire was saying about no one really you know, maybe the quality has dropped a little or, or, you know, there's a lot going on this season, players in and out, et cetera. But I also feel like no one player really, I think, has stepped up as like the out and out front runner for MVP. Mm. And I think this reflected amongst the teams, too. Yeah, I think you're totally right, because we always just default back to Kerr, right? But she's been having a tough month. So, you know, I think the MVP, if, if the season ends right now, this is not necessarily my vote. But if the season ended right now with the four playoff teams, I think Press would win MVP. True, which is crazy because she's played so few games. <laughs> she has, but they're yeah, rolling. It's also, it's, no, I know. I, I totally agree, but it's it's wild. Sorry, go ahead, Chelsea. I was going to say, it's also easy to, to look. I think to me, a mark of an MVP is a player that makes their team better. And you look at the, what teams do without Sam Kerr, without Kristen Press, 
And that's kind of, it gives you an idea of, okay, they haven't played as many games, but look how much better they are when they're around. Right. Yeah, I, I hesitate on that argument because what about a team, what about a player that doesn't come off the field? But I totally get what you're saying. The yeah, Red Star season unraveled it, when Kerr left the first it time. It just makes it easier to, to acknowledge that. Yep. I, I, you and I, I've had this discussion up there. I said the same thing about Kalen Sheridan for Scott Blue. Ah, yeah, there's another one. Yep. And I, and I hate to judge players by what they look like on the field, but the fact that Kristen Press is like smiling through the season since the World Cup. It almost seems like a direct correlation to how well she's playing and how easily she's contributing to that team. Yeah, um, I'm fascinated to see. Um, I think the next game for Utah is against Portland. I think that's going to be a really interesting game. Yep, and they're on like a million days rest, so they'll have the reverse excuse for the Red Stars is right. that they so fresh and they were a little rusty or whatnot. I think it's September 6th, and they didn't play this weekend. Uh, quickly on the middle of the table, as we talked about, Royals hang on to that four spot. The Rain are playing admirably, but I just can't see them overcoming everything they've had to overcome. I give the Spirits some credit because they've turned a corner against teams that they should have turned a corner on. I still think they're going to maybe come up a little bit short. And, you know, I called the Dash game, so I'm heavily invested in that game, I guess. But my goodness, they cannot win at home. And they're like a they're similar to the red stars in this, except they're not quite as high up the table. When you think they're going to make some, make up some ground, they give up really poor goals to sky blue. And I don't know how a team with Ojai, daily and Huerta can't score more goals than they score. And there, I think the loss to sky blue pretty much ended the season for them. I would think so. I mean, it's a crowded, the top of the table is so crowded. And yeah, like you said, Utah's surging, um, it'll be interesting to see if the time off slows that down a little bit. The rain are, I think the rain are too injured to hold on, but you never know. Um, and yeah, I mean, for Houston, I've always said this, their defense just kind of is what it is. The concerning thing to me is just that they can't score. And they should be able to score. They have right. the players that should be able to, to score those three players. Every other game, every third game should just dominate a game, and I don't think it's happened once all season. Yeah, I, um, I'm really curious. I, I, I would love to hear, and, and you know, maybe this is something we can pursue. I would love to hear from James Clarkson a little bit more about um, what his vision is for, for how those, they, they work together up top. Um, because it, it does sometimes seem like Houston, like the players are working very hard um, but sometimes the ideas aren't there, which is like, that's something you see with Chicago sometimes too. And so I, I'm always interested in that respect to, to hear more from the coaching staff about what the assignments are and what they're trying to get that roster to do. Well, um, for you and for anyone who's listening, who may not know, uh, Jen Cooper actually does a weekly podcast with James Clarkson. Um, there you go. It's on iTunes, and I'm assuming everywhere else. And I listen to it. It's, it's, it's interesting. I always like to hear from coaches. I wish more coaches did that. And he does give occasional insights into kind of the style of, of soccer he's looking for, and then also his transition from going. To, and they talked about that probably even more, of making the transition from an academy setting with you know kids, teenagers, whatever, to a professional setting. But he does give a little bit of insight into what he's looking for. All right, that's going to be it for segment one of this week's Equalizer podcast, but we've got much more coming up with Chelsea and Claire. 
I'm Dan. This is episode 74 of the Equalizer podcast. Segment two on the Equalizer podcast. This is episode 74. Dan Lawletta, Chelsea Bush, and Claire Watkins with a reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast. The better ratings and better reviews that we get from you, the more great content that we can bring your way. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. And an easy rate and review from the weekend is the game in Washington because the Spirit didn't just break their attendance record. They crushed it, 19,471. I've got the old number, which I'll pull up in a moment, but it was less than half of that. And that's spectacular. And I thought they rocked Audi Field last year when they were a moribund team with about half the people in there. And uh, really nice to see them get the uh, 19,000. The key now will be, not the key, but... They've got another Audi field game coming up. I don't expect them to match the 19, but I'll be curious to see what they do going forward because we did this whole song and dance four years ago, and then attendance plummeted after that. So the big key here for this league and for each club is can you maintain it or at least come closer to maintaining it? And when you get to the point where the wave has worn off, are you ahead of where you were before the World Cup? So I think we still have a long way to go to see what happens. Uh, none of us saw much of this game, but what did we think, Chelsea, of uh, the crowd and the fact that the Spirit are kind of still in this playoff race? Not kind of, they're in the playoff race. Yeah, I think, um, like I said, I only I saw bits and pieces of this game, unfortunately, but it sounded really good from, from what I could hear when I was listening to it. Um, it's unfortunate because I feel like the game they had Audi Field last year was not a great game either, and I don't. From what I could see, yes, they won this one, so that's good. It didn't particularly seem like a great game. Right. That was, um, the, Rass- Rass- that was the game Rasso got hurt in, right? Yeah. So, um, and like you said about attendance, I think I'd like to see kind of how the numbers trickle down in the end and really what carries over to next season. Um, but as far as Washington goes, that they've improved. They have a lot of youth. Um so there's still improvement to to be made. Technically, they're in the playoff race, but if I'm being completely honest, I don't think anyone in six, seven, eight, ninth place is really in the playoff race. I think there's just there's too much. They're they're close on points. Um, it's it's a very very close. It's a very tight table. I just don't see any of the teams above them falling enough to to make a playoff spade of, spot available. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So you're essentially saying it's the Royals and Rain yeah. for the last spot, unless you yeah, think the I, Red Stars might keep falling. No, I think I've said this for, for a couple of weeks now, and I haven't really changed my mind on it. I haven't seen anything to make me change my mind. I think that Portland, North Carolina, Chicago, even though Chicago's in a bit of a slump, they've done well enough earlier in the season, and they've, they're going to get better. They're going to win games again. They're, they're pretty locked in, and it's just – I really can't say between the Royals and the rain, who's going to get that. I think I would love to have seen what a full strength rain could have done this season. Cause I think that they're very well organized that Blacko has a kind of a better grip on that team than what he did last year and kind of has more made it his own, but they do enough to, to stay in there, whether they can do enough or whether the Royals, you know, keep on running or whether they drop points, but there's, there's a gap in, talent and, and skill level and ability between those teams and then Washington, Houston, Orlando, Sky Blue. Here are the Red Stars' remaining games, by the way. Home to Houston 
at Orlando, at Sky Blue, home to Washington, home to Utah. So you can make a really good case that you could come away with 15 points from that stretch. I know they haven't done well against Sky Blue this season, and they just got beat by Orlando also. But if you're in third place and that's your schedule, uh, you've got to be loving that. Yeah, it's a good place to be. I mean, just to double back on the the attendance for, for the spirit. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's some some things that are either they're either going to be positives or negatives right like uh the washington orlando game none of the u.s women's national team players uh were available um because both teams were dealing with injuries well other than ashlyn harris i meant alex morgan but um that'll make it interesting when they meet again during the fifa window be right. like nothing ever changed right um and and so i think um you know, it was a great showcase for fans to get to know the league players, which is awesome. But also sometimes um, that takes a little bit more commitment than the first time goer is is able to commit time to. Um, I think also it just goes to show um, how accessibility is important. You know, I think that probably the discussion shouldn't be, can we convert these people into soccerplex uh, goers, but more how can we further our relationship with Audi Field because I think that um, a lot of P- a lot of fans that went a lot of media that went um, said just how much easier it is to get to games at Audi Field than it is um, in their current home and I think that makes a huge difference I mean I can obviously speak to how difficult it is for me to get down to, to Bridgeview here in Chicago I think location is huge especially because the other barriers to entry aren't that high and WSL tickets just don't cost that much so I think um yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think if they can do well on the second Audi field, um, go out and then deepen that relationship next year, those are the positive steps that the spirit needs to right. be making. And, and every every venue is different with every team, but they right. need to get enough people and be confident they can get enough people to make that relationship exactly worth it for them over the long haul of the season. I know there's been a lot of talk in Washington about maybe splitting a couple of seasons before they make a permanent move. But on the conversation about the national team players, I get what you're saying that you, you know, you, this is possible because of the world cup, but in the long term, and maybe we're not there yet, but aren't we trying to get people to be Washington spirit fans, to oh, be sky blue FC fans. And it absolutely. shouldn't matter whether you have those players. Well, and in my opinion, quite frankly, I think that Washington spirits like, face of this team right now i mean rose lavelle's the the world cup hero but andy sullivan is incredible and not only is she good she's specifically wonderful to watch live um the spirit are a very fun you know they have aubrey blood so they have all of these players that are young and up and coming and i think will feature on the team in the future and so i would think out of ev- anybody honestly um, the spirit are really so much more than their U.S. Women's National Team players. Um, it always just—it's just then a matter of follow-up messaging from the team to get those, you know, first-time buyers back in. Specifically, probably that second game at Audi Field. As long as we're talking about the absences of the U.S. players, the U23 roster was named. And uh, there's a lot of NWSL players on there, a couple of college players. Sophia Smith is on there and some U.S. players based overseas, including Erin Simon, who I assume uh, was just giving me a call to make sure we mentioned her name on the show. Erin um, Simon, um, I, 
I, I'm guessing she's doing well at West Ham United. Um, you know, I never thought she was a tremendous NWSL player, but watching her a lot with Sky Blue, the effort she put in on a weekly basis, on a possession-by-possession possession basis, was second to none. Um, but there was a tweet out of North Carolina suggesting that there is a Courage player about to be added to the U.S. roster for this weekend coming up because there are so many injuries. And um, Paul Riley apparently said it was a, quote, big one. So yeah. let the speculation begin. It's got to be Kristen Hamilton, though, doesn't it? Right. And the thing that I'm a little bit confused about is, you know, it, it all just has to do with timing because we're at this very specific point in the U.S. cycle where these games are not, they're not for call-ups. They're just for this one specific team to play in front of fans. Right. They don't Which even is have... why, I mean, there's got to be a lot of injuries if right. they're calling up extra people. Right, exactly. And so, but it's also, unfortunately, this is the year that Kristen Hamilton's in the best form of her life. Um, which usually the way that they did this, the way they did this in 2015 and the way they're doing it now is they're calling up a certain number of overage players to play for the U23s to get kind of a look in the system um, in this specific window where there's no point in having them join the full team. Um, but yeah, I guess if there are injuries, but that also, again, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me either because they, what, they, they do a two-day camp and then they sit on the bench. Like, wouldn't going with the U23s to a tournament make you know, be a better experience and better option and, and just to get in front of, you know, BJ Snow and get in that system before they pick the new coach. I don't know. I'm kind of of two minds about it. Maybe it's not Hamilton then. Yeah, I don't know. But I don't know who else would be a big one. Right, right. Because North Carolina's got a bunch of bubble players, so I would be surprised. Yeah, I think the only one it really could be besides Hamilton, who's been in good form, is Lynn Williams. And I don't think that's his big right that's not a big one she's been in that you know she's been in the, the system for a while now I, I think that I think it's I think it's Hamilton because she got called up to the 23s because she's been in in good form um I like that she got called up to a 23s I've I've kind of been a proponent for a long time of the fact that we shouldn't have a 23 te- U23 team it should just be a B team right. other countries have that um to get these players these opportunities when you know, maybe they're not quite ready to break into the senior team or maybe like at a time like, like this where they, they can't really because of uh, contractual things and lesser injuries, I guess, apparently. But yeah, I agree. I, think, I don't think she's whoever it is. This person is probably not going to play unless they just blow everyone out of the water in camp. I think they're just there to be a, a body in training, which is really unfortunate. Now, Paul Riley's definition of big might not match our definition of big <laughs> right. either. So yeah. let's let's uh, probably keep... be anyone. <laughs> I would think, though, wouldn't you think it, you would take a bubble player, right? Like, Jill Ellis was so big when she named the roster of thanking all the players, and this wouldn't have been possible without the players that didn't make the team. So wouldn't you take Zerboni or Short as the two obvious last right. players out for the well, Victory Tour? Well, also, especially if you think of the Victory Tour as a function of really just going and thanking the fans, you would think they would take people that the fans maybe developed that relationship with over the course of this roster process so yeah so shortens or bony would make sense to me but i don't, um, I don't think that ellis cares that much no i know right, right. i mean yeah she's, she's exactly. on the way out like i said i don't yeah. think this person is is really intended to be a, a player so it doesn't kind of when it comes to the game itself and what the fans want i right. don't think that they really just, factors a lot into it they just i think they just need scrimmage <laughs> yeah exactly but there's if there's 23 person 
uh, roster, though. That I mean, that means some of the like Morgan's probably not going to be there, right? Uh, Rapino's not going to be there. Pugh's probably not going to be there. Uh, I would guess at this point, Lavelle's not going to be there. Right. O'Hara. Um, O'Hara. O'Hara's not going to be there. Who am I missing? That's that's five, so that's down to eighteen. Yeah. But all three keepers are still there, so you're down five field players. Um, I don't know if I'm missing anybody else. No, I or think, not. I think yeah, that's, not that I can think that's of. That's it. I mean, you've you've had a couple. You know, like Davidson's been questionable on the injury report, but she played today, so she's obviously fine. Can yeah, we right, get? Can we get AD Franch a start? By the way, I thought she was really good in the Chicago game. Yeah, yeah even though she didn't game. make any great saves. Yeah, yeah someone... I think didn't. Oh, go ahead. I was say didn't last time wasn't it one half Nair and one half Harris? So I assume this time it would be you know maybe Nair gets a full game and Harris and French split or something like yeah. that. They tend, if I remember the last victory tour, they were pretty good about rotating the keepers. Yeah, and again, I just think that the starting eleven is going to be the players that fans want to see. So that's going to be the people who played in the World Cup. And then in the second halves, right, exactly, they have some options to rotate. But I think that, I just think that the way that the U.S. does this is they give those marquee players the first 30 minutes. So I do think that Alyssa Nair will start both games, but I don't think she's necessarily going to play full 90 for all of them. The thing I was just going to say about French is what she did in today's game that is just, there was one shot, and I don't remember exactly when it was, but... If she had given up a deflection, there was a Chicago player right there that was ready to knock it in. And she just is so good at catching the ball. That's the thing about her. She can just nab the ball out of thin air and and hold on to it in a way that I find so impressive. The other uh, play was that it was a little scramble and the ball was like tucked into the back of her legs and it was about to roll off. And instantly she turned over and was on it. Yep. And there was also a Red Star player there. That would that could have put that in. Uh, I've got one more comment on the U23s. This will probably kill the conversation, so I intentionally saved it for the end of the segment. Uh, Julie James Doyle got named to that team. She played the last 45 for Sky Blue in Houston, and I thought she was tremendous. So uh, it would be interesting to see if you know how she does and if Sky Blue kind of works her uh, into being permanent part of the back line. All right, segment two in the books. We'll come back with some of your questions, and I've got a question that I'm going to surprise Chelsea and Claire with, so we'll see how they do with that. This is episode 74 of the Equalizer podcast. Third and final segment of episode 74 of the Equalizer podcast, which is brought to you every week in part by Sports Reference, and you can check out the wonderful women's soccer stats at fbref.com, and right now it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference stat of the week, and we pulled this one directly off of the FB ref site about goals and assists per 90 minutes this season in the NWSL. Well, coming into the weekend, Sam Kerr was at an even one uh, goal and assist per 90 minutes. But with her getting shut out on Sunday, that dropped her to 0.94. And that left the aforementioned Kristen Hamilton atop the table at 0.98. Others that are above 0.5, there's only eight of them. Lynn Williams, Christine Sinclair, Dabinia, Midge Purse, Yuki Nagasato, Carly Lloyd. Those are the only ones, 0.5 and above. Purse obviously had her number go up with a couple of goals against the Red Stars. So the aforementioned and newly minted U23 call-up, Kristen Hamilton, is uh, atop that list at 0.98 goals plus assists per 90 minutes this season in the NWSL. And that is brought to you by 
our partners at FB Ref for updated and uh, bigger and better women's soccer stats each week. Go to fbref.com. Um, one final note on that Hamilton thing just came to mind as I was reading that. She's one of the overage players, so if they do bring her into the um, senior camp, that opens the door that they can bring in another overage player. That said, they were allowed three overage players and only took two, so I'm probably babbling and we should move on. Let's go to questions and uh, answers, and let's go all the way back to, uh, I think we had one from, all right, let's start with Tom Stidman. Who did Sky Blue help most with their win over Houston, and why? Um, I think they helped themselves most. I don't think Houston was ever catching the teams ahead of them. I think they helped themselves. They're now uh, 500 with Hugo Macedo in charge, and with the Red Bull thing and, you know, maybe the team's playing a little bit more free, there might be some forward momentum. Now, that's momentum from a long way back, but it still might be some forward momentum. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think the, you could say maybe... Go ahead. <laughs> like you say, maybe they helped Washington a little bit. If you're talking about, like, final table standings, Houston and Washington are pretty close. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think theoretically, theoretically, if we're talking all things even, I think they helped Washington the most, um, you know, but Washington would still have to do incredibly well, I think, to leapfrog, you know, the teams in front of them. All right, John Forsyth, uh, our uh, loyal question asker, MLS owned Houston and Orlando still seem to struggle for attendance even during the World Cup bump well. Uh, independent Seattle, Red Star, Sky Blue, and Washington are all reaching record attendances. Any thoughts on why this is so and how it applies to the rumored expansion teams with MLS ties? We'll hit expansion in a minute. Um, I hear some people, hey, you guys want to get in here, but let me just say real quick, um, you know, MLS own isn't necessarily uh, the best option here, and I think Houston and Orlando have had their struggles. Houston also had their showcase game um, when Megan Rapino and the Rain were there without the international players, because that was when the U.S. was playing in the Rose Bowl. Uh, but also the independent teams are probably starting from a lower base, so that allows them, I think, a little bit more of a runway when there's a bump. Chelsea Guide, you are dying to jump in. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the MLS owned has anything to do with it. It's all about what the front office does. And that, I mean, every team has a front office. Maybe some have more resources than the others, but... Uh, I don't really think that has a whole lot to do with it here and, and shouldn't have any impact on where they, you know, expansion teams head in the future. Uh, um, Houston is a little bit of a struggle as they don't have any World Cup winning players of their own to promote. They kind of have to rely on others. Um, Houston's always not been the greatest at promotion. I don't know if I've been there I've met, you know, hotel workers who didn't know they had a women's team. So I can't, I don't live there. I can't speak for the much of their marketing. Same for any other team. Right. Um, I, I, I mean, I think the hard thing for us, I mean, I'm not in market for Houston and I'm not in market for Orlando. And as I've come to understand it through watching what Chicago does, I think a lot of marketing is just in this age, a lot of marketing is very pinpointed to demographics. So I don't know why. I would see promotion for the Dash or for the Pride because um, hopefully they're targeting people who are actually local and can make it to games. Uh, I think also, you know, I just think um, Houston and Orlando, they have struggles on the men's side too. It, it's not necessarily just a yep. women's soccer issue. So um, I, you, it would take a lot deeper digging to figure out exactly what is not working there. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, it does, we, as we always say, MLS isn't always better. You have to look at the team. You have to look at their commitment to um, really working hard and, and figuring out ways to bring people in um, because there are some MLS teams that are struggling too. And if you look at MLS, you know, we have like this MLS 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 thing, and teams like Atlanta, Seattle, Portland have come in, and they're tearing the cover off things with attendance. But the original teams have found it harder to keep up after they had their great boom when they came in the league in the 90s, and then they have flattened out. So Houston and Orlando had these peaks, for whatever reason, drove fans away. I think it's harder to win fans back and maybe a team like Sky Blue that just didn't have enough fans discovering them. Even though you can look at the history of Sky Blue and say, well, why would you support that team? But I think it's easier to get new fans than to win fans back. I had that thought when I was watching that Red Bull game, that if that was your first Sky Blue game, you'd have no idea the dysfunction that they had left behind. Totally. Yeah. 100%. Super normal. All right, uh, Janine, if new players are included in fall national team camps, any thoughts on who? Purse, Hamilton, Murphy, I think we sort of covered this. You know, I've come around a lot on Midge Purse. I still don't think she's national team material. I'd be fine if they called her in, but I think she's kind of limited. But she's been spectacular for the Thorns this season. She's just such a hard worker. I don't know. I just feel like she's going to figure it out. I don't think I've seen anyone who works harder on a soccer field than Midge Purse does, so... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think she's she's very intelligent. Yeah, she's a very smart soccer player. So I could see, you know, maybe right now she's not international quality. I could see. Um, I think she has a high ceiling. I don't think she's reached it yet. I also think that she's someone that um, it'll be interesting to see. She's someone who has thrived on a good team, and so I think she is maybe someone who could succeed on an international level, depending on the quality of the people around her. Yeah, it's a good call because she didn't thrive in Boston. And, may, you know, I'm sure she's developed. But, yeah, some people are better when you put them on a better team yep. and don't necessarily yeah, carry inferior teams. There's a universe out there where the breakers didn't fold. And so right. she and Rose Lavelle are still just chugging along. Yep, doing their best. Yep, with Lavelle on Boston's injury list instead of Washington's injury list. Ooh, did I say that? <laughs> Truth hurts. Truth hurts. All right. Um, also from Janine, opinions on U23 call-ups. Surprise, only one college player and so many non-NWSLers. I don't think so because college season just started. And even though U.S. soccer can be, US soccer can be kind of ruthless on this, I don't think uh, they extend that really to the Nordic Cup. Right. I mean, yeah. Any, any international youth squad that doesn't have Katarina Macario on it is not your A team. I also suspect they have a lot less leverage when it comes to NCAA, who's a pretty yeah, hefty sure. entity of its own. Yeah, good call. And Kerry Paralewski, and uh, credit to Kerry for retweeting with the hashtag after uh, leaving it out of the original. I've wondered what has happened to Camilla prior to tearing her ACL. She was a good starter. No, now she barely plays. Thoughts? I have to admit that is a great question, and I haven't thought about Camilla in I don't know how many weeks. I don't know if either of you two have any insight into Camilla's status even. I I think she's healthy, but I don't, I haven't seen much from her prior, you know, after the ACL that says she's the same player. I also think right now she, she kind of falls into that category and kind of seems like Skinner doesn't rate her. Right. I think Skinner likes Vigiano. I think that's part of it. I think that he's, he's exerting, he is exerting some control on that starting 11. And I think that that particular spot is a place where he 
likes the young upcoming player that he has and is maybe more invested in developing her um, than giving Camilla playing time. And if he thinks she won't be back, I think he's doing the right thing by playing players that he thinks will be or that he wants to see if they'll be back. Right. Which is unfortunate for Camilla, but that's the way it goes. All right, here's my question for you two. Um, expansion has been a hot topic around the league. Um, I don't I don't have much to say about the cities because we've heard about, the, you know, every year we hear about expansion. Um, it does seem maybe a little bit closer to happening, but I really think if it's going to happen, we should get an announcement soon. But here's my question for you both, and we're going to start in Chicago. The expansion draft rules, as they were uh, a couple of years ago, were that you only could protect two U.S. players. Mm-hmm. So if you're the Chicago, and this is based on the previous year because they do the expansion draft before they reallocate players. Okay. So if you are the Red Stars and there's an expansion draft, who are you leaving unprotected? Because you can only protect two. All right. So the Red Stars are weird. So you're saying this is based on this year's allocation list? Right. And it's Brian Ertz, Nayer Short. Exactly. So the good news for Chicago is they don't have to protect Davidson as an allocated player. Um, because I think she would be very, I think they would protect, I think they would actually protect her if that were the case. Um, she's their future. Uh, I think you protect Julie Ertz. She's the only 100% lock for me. That's the person you protect. Um, and then I think it just depends. I think it's, man, that's a really good question. My answer is Julie, if, if, if the allocations were who went to the world cup, I would say Ertz and Davidson. Um, with the reality that they have, um, I think you might have to do Ertz and Nair, maybe. Um, yeah, I would say maybe Ertz and Nair seem like the, the choices, but also, um, I don't know. I don't know. Do you want to spend, do you want to save that on a goalkeeper? Cause the teams are only going to take, you know, a couple of those. So I don't know. Chelsea, um, You've had an additional ninety seconds to think on this. Um, I would do I would do Arts in short. I agree that Julie Arts is absolutely the one hundred percent lock. She just she is the heart of that team and, yeah. and a lot of on and off the field. Um, I think you you take you run the risk of letting you know they're only going to take one goalkeeper. I agree, and also frankly, I'm not saying you can replace Alyssa there, but there are a lot of good goalkeepers out there. Right. I think that that you could either take your chances at Emily Boyd or trust that you could go find another good enough one. Mackenzie Arnold keep, has been training with them. You know, that's they have Arnold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who's, who's a great keeper at home, right. And probably deserves to be starting somewhere. And, um, but you, you keep the player who's probably been the best defender in the league this year. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. The only, oh, my one other Chicago thing though, I know I'm already going way too long, but, um, John Halloran, I was talking to John Halloran about this and what he said is true. Um, once you take an allocated player from a team, you're done with that team. Right. Why so wouldn't, you're, you're you, just, only why wouldn't one. you just clean up if you were taking from Chicago? Why wouldn't you just clean up three or four of their bubble players who are all quite good? Why why waste that pick on an allocated player? Well, I think isn't it one per team and you're done regardless? Oh, anyway. Now now if there's two teams, that's a whole different story. Right. But I I'm with Chelsea. I go Ertz and Short. I mean Ertz is a no brainer. Right. Ertz and Short and. The reason for that is, number one, I just think that the keeper is easier to replace, to replace yeah. than what Casey Short does. 
And if it's only one team, you've also got the Courage and the Thorns and the Royals all have more than two to protect. And the rules, at least last time, were that the Pride could only take two. And I can't imagine that if you if you go to the, the Courage, you have Dal Kemper, Dunn, Mewis, and Zerboni. So you would have to leave two of those open. We can talk about that in a minute. The Thorns have French, right. Heath, Haran, and Sonnet. There is no way with those players exposed that you take Nair over two of those field players. Right, and I also just don't think that Morgan Bryan is at the top of anybody's list. No, and she's extraordinarily injury-prone. She's not right. a player that I would want to build my team around. Right. If you want to send her to me, that's fine. Yeah, no, I think Morgan Bryan's a great player, but right, that's what I mean. She's not the basis of a team. All right, Chelsea, I think this is an easy one, but Del Kemper, Dunn, Mewis, or Boney? Dunn, Mewis. That's, yeah, I protect easy. those two all day long. Easy, and maybe you convince uh, the other team that Zerboni doesn't want to leave because, you know, she's married to the assistant coach and doesn't want to relocate. Maybe right. do it. I don't know. Um, Claire, yeah, same. Yeah, same. I think Zerboni's – I mean, Zerboni could just threaten to retire, honestly. Like, there's there are ways to get yep. around this. Um, and then, yeah, Dahl Kemper's good. But, yeah, I think that you, uh, Dunn and Mewis, are – two of the best players on the U.S. Yeah, those are your two. Portland, French, Heath, Haran, Sonnet. Heath, oh, Haran. that's a no-brainer, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, easy. Again, goalkeepers, as, as good as French is, you replace them, and Sonnet's just not the same level. Right. And I, and I think this one is also an easy one. Royals, O'Hara, Press, Sauerbrunn. Oh, that's... Sour, Sauerbrunn and, and Press. I would have to have a long conversation with Utah's training staff before answering that question. About O'Hara? Yeah. The only thing that I think you, I think they could get away with keeping all of them if they say they protect. I think that O'Hara, again, you're running the injury risk. I mean, and honestly, with those injuries and where she is, you kind of have to think how much longer is she going to play? Is she going to be willing right. to root up, you know, root herself up and move when she's frankly probably a year away from retirement? Right. You could also make the same argument for for any of those three players. I think on that team are probably yep kind of kind of close to that. And I think we can agree that Sauerbrunn is still really really good, but she's not 2011 to 2015 16 Becky Sauerbrunn anymore. Right. And again, it's it's no. it's exactly what Chelsea said, where you're less likely to take an allocated player that you're only going to get what two three years out of. You want one that you can build a future with. Yeah, if you're lucky, two, three years. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. I, I think that the Sauerbrunn, she's, she's a great center back, but she's not the best in the world anymore. All right, now let's say you're an expansion team, and let's say the available players here are Brian and Nair, Dal Kemper and Zerboni, French and Sonnet, and let's say O'Hara. And let's forget the hell, let's say they're all healthy and they all want to be, they're all willing to play where you're going to play. Without knowing anything else about draft picks or other player out acquisitions, which two do you want? Franch and Dahlkemper. Oh, good really? answer. You yeah. s- I was going to say the same thing, yeah. to be honest. I think that's good. That's your core. Dahlkemper's young. Franch is solid in goalkeepers play for a long time. Yeah. And she's younger than there. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I think you take the younger ones who are going to be around for longer. You start with a good goalkeeper and you build up from there. Yep. So you don't want a Dal Kemper sonnet back uh, center back combo? No. I just don't <laughs> think that would work. <laughs> to start? 
I mean, it, I mean, maybe you're both right. French yeah. is real good. French is tremendous. So, yeah, I would rather have because French French is also a backline organizer. I just think that you want. I think that yeah. you get. I think you get a better backline by having French back there than you would by having a Sonnet Doll Kemper combo. And I mean, a good keeper will keep you in games no matter what. Right. As long as you've got that hope, you know, maybe it's it's a zero one win if you can score. It's a zero zero draw. But if you have, don't have a good keeper, you're you're doomed. That's fair. I just feel like there's enough keepers to go around. I mean, Abby yeah. Smith has to wind up on right. some team also. Like, would you let me ask you this? If Abby Smith is available, which you expect that she would be, unless Barnhart actually stops playing, isn't Abby Smith too good to waste the U.S. allocation pick on French? Like, would you rather have French and Dal Kemper or Abby Smith, Dal Kemper, and O'Hara? So maybe you pick up. Smith and you get either Doc Kemper and O'Hare or Doc Kemper and Morgan Bryan. Right. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's a good question too. Again, Utah Utah is tough because they're so old. So I don't know. (laughs) No, it's just true. Um, So I don't know why Utah would give Abby Smith away, but I don't know. Well, you might, you maybe can only protect one keeper. Yeah, right. We don't know. And speaking of which, last thing, because we're over time here. Shouldn't Barnhart be considered for like the 2020 Olympics, unless she's told U.S. soccer she doesn't want to do it anymore, or unless she just can't train to the level that they expect her to train. I mean, should she should not she not be considered for one of the Olympic spots? Wasn't training the issue back in, you know, 2015, I 14, think, whenever I she think, I think it was. I think that's what we've all heard, yeah. So, I mean, who's to say that's changed? However she's training now, it's working. Right. Um, I think there's too many variables. It depends on... It just depends on who's the coach. Um, I think she's she's the most consistent keeper in the league right now. Right. Um, I don't know. That's that's a tough one. If it's been out of the international game for a long time. If you didn't have league form, if you didn't have U.S. form and history, would you not take Barnhart and French, not necessarily in that order, right now? If you if I said you need two keepers for the Olympics, no camp, no nothing, just pick two. Um. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be willing to give up Nair. Yeah. I've been hard on her, and I'm. Well, you're not. Ha- but I'm saying you don't have Nair. You're doing it blind. Like there's like we're starting the national team from scratch right now, and you've got to win the Olympics. Right. And I think if you're picking the two best league keepers, it's Barnhart and and French. But also, can but it goes back to the training thing. Can can Barnhart do a short a short term tournament like that? No, it's it's fair question. Yeah. I just. I just feel like she should at least be in the conversation. Oh, for sure. Yeah, she's been great. All right. Speaking of the conversation, it's been a long one, but uh, we're going to wrap things up. We're heading into the FIFA break. There is one NWSL game between uh, Washington and Orlando. Lucky enough, they'll take their uh, act to Orlando for a Saturday night game. U.S. plays a couple of times as part of the victory tour. We'll see what the roster looks like and if they do add one due to some injuries. Uh, Thank you for listening to the podcast. For Claire Watkins and Chelsea Bush, I'm Dan Lawletta. This has been episode 74 of the Equalizer podcast.